Would you please stand as we read the word of the Lord? This is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17. And we've been in, since the fall, we've been taking a slow walk through the book of Ephesians. We're about halfway through. And for me, it's been so fun. I've never spent so much time with so little scripture before. And it's been so cool because every week, I've been learning more and more about something that I've read many times. But God's just been enhancing it to me and showing me more and more about it and how to apply it to my life. And it's been really enjoyable. So today we're picking up with Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17. I'm reading out of the NLT, New Living Translation. And it says this. With the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do. They're hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life that God gives because they have closed their minds, hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learn about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature, your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes and put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Holy Father, we just come to you right now. Lord, we just invite and welcome your presence here among us today. Thank you, God, that you delight in us. Thank you, God, that you look at us and you think, those are my kids that I'm so proud of and thankful for. Thank you, God, that this is a place that we can be loved and accepted, find community and family. Thank you, God, that at the beginning of the year, the first day of 2023, that we can be in your house with our family all together. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. You can go ahead and grab a chair. You know, all of us grow up knowing things, a way to do things and a way not to. Talking about house rules, family rules, mama's rules. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Everybody grew up with a set of house rules, a way that this family does stuff. Doesn't matter what your friends are doing. This is how we do stuff. You guys know what I'm talking about? A couple of you. Okay. How many have a set of house rules? How many of you have a set of house rules printed on a mug or a piece of paper or something that's set up? Okay, Chad, a couple others. Yeah, a couple others. Yeah, that's great. That's wonderful. So we grew up with house rules, and one of those rules that I learned very quickly, for instance, was that we were a nonviolent household. Very quickly after my parents had me and the three other siblings, we got that worked out of the house rules. But at the beginning, we were a nonviolent household. And one of the main rules as a 90s child was that we don't watch Power Rangers because it's too violent. Anybody else can relate? Just a couple people. We don't watch Power Rangers because it's too violent. So what did I do? Obey my parents? No, I ran to the neighbor's house to watch Power Rangers when my parents weren't around. Yet somehow they found out. They always do. I don't know how. And my parents kindly with love reminded us, reminded me that we are a nonviolent household with the backside of a spoon. I see Power Rangers at the store on TV, and I still feel an ache in my backside. That's what I'm saying, guys. But very quickly and early on, I learned that there is a way we do things and a way we don't do things in this house. 
And that's where we're at today in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul is reminding us that there's a certain way of living in this new family, the family of God. Remember, just a few verses, just a chapter ago, Paul was reminding us that he's bringing together, going against all these ethnic uh, walls, breaking them down, bringing peace to God's people, saying that God's people is everybody that calls Jesus Lord and Savior. And so he's bringing all of this back and bringing harmony and unity among God's people. And he's reminding them there is a way that we do things in this family. And it's really interesting that this is the first place in Paul's letter that he goes at all negative. If you remember and you go back through and you read through chapter 1 all the way through to where we are right now, Paul is almost stumbling over himself trying to get all of these happy word things out. God is so good, it's just this long, rambling sentence. If you remember, the very first 15 or 17 verse, 15 verses is all one long run-on sentence in the Greek. Paul is just rambling on and on and on about all the good things that God is and all the things that we get if we're in the family of God, the inheritance and every spiritual blessing and all of these things. And then you get to verse 17. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they're hopelessly confused. If you're immersed in the text and you've been following along, this feels like a really sharp change in tone from Paul. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Where your parents can say, come here, or they can say, come here. And you know that there's a difference. You know that if they say, come here, you can say, let me finish this game. Hold on one second. But you know, at least I did in my family, my parents said, come here. I, I came right away. I was like, yes, mom. Yes, dad. What do I do? I'm sorry. What, what's going on? Okay, there's a tone change. And Paul here is saying, with the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do. To me, Paul is mustering the strongest possible words, saying it in the strongest way to impart to his audience, to draw them attention to this warning. There is a way we do things and a way that we do not live. This is very common in our households. It's often the main objective of parenthood. Trying to impart to your kids your values, your beliefs, and your worldview. Much of parenting is imparting the best way you know how to live to your kids so they can have the best life that you know how to have. And that is what Paul is doing. He's, this whole letter is about maturing in our Christian faith, and our Christian walk, this new life we found in God. And he's trying to set a clear direction, saying there is a certain way to live if you call yourself a Christian. If you call Jesus Lord and Savior, there is a way we do things and a way that we do not do Growing up, one of the ways that we passed time was playing board games. One of my favorite board games was this game called Munchkins. And you're these little characters, and throughout the game, you fight each other and you fight monsters. But one of the things is that you picked traits and characteristics of your person. I'm an elf warrior, and that lets you do a bunch of stuff that a dwarf uh, warrior, wouldn't, dwarf thief wouldn't let you do. Really nerdy? I'm kind of nerdy. I kind of like games. There's a lot of fun growing up. But there's certain things that define you, certain things, traits that show what type of person you are. And so Paul lists these traits or characteristics of the old way of living. What's that old way? What's the Gentile way? Well, it's marked by this. He says, their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life that God gives 
because they've closed their minds, hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure, eagerly practice every kind of impurity. And so what Paul's saying here is that a person living under the old way of life, a way of life outside of the kingdom of God is marked by confusion. Our minds are darkened. We wander directionless. We are closed to God mentally, hardened emotionally. We stop caring. We have no sense of shame. We live for pleasure. The Greek words here actually means that there's a, a lack of care or purposelessness. This old way of living is marked by emptiness and a lack of understanding, alienation from God, ignorance of his ways, a hardened, uncaring, unfeeling state of being. Kind of like a jellyfish just floating around doing nothing. Like, What is their purpose in the sea? They just float, 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 float. And Paul's saying that's not what your life is supposed to be about. When we stop caring, it's a lack of doing things, just listlessly going through life. Left to ourselves, the second law of thermodynamics sets in. I pulled this from a magazine article in Forbes. It says this, The second law of thermodynamics, also known as entropy, says that left to themselves, things tend to degenerate. Clothing wears out. Houses fall into despair. And plants and animals decay. It takes effort and energy to combat entropy and keep systems from falling apart. When we live in this old Gentile way of doing things, it is living in an isolation, a godless world, apart from his kingdom, outside of God's realm or house. And when left to ourselves, this second law begins to take place. Life begins to decay and erode away. And everything tends to move away towards destruction or chaos. You know, there's two kingdoms in this world. Well, there's more than that, but... The two that I want to talk to you about today is God's kingdom and the kingdom of self. And when you, live in, when you live outside of God's kingdom, when you live your life in a way that doesn't interact with him and begin to know him and to have him a part of your daily life, you're still living and building a kingdom. It's just not God's kingdom. It's the kingdom of self. It's the kingdom of what we can do, of pleasing ourselves, of finding contentment. It is a very unsatisfying way to live. The old way, the Gentile way, is marked by gratifying ourselves. Sensuality becomes central. Dallas Willard, in his book, Renovation of the Heart, he says the human body becomes the primary area of pleasure for the person who does not live honestly and interactively with God. But it's also the primary source of terror and torture and death. Living to glorify yourself or living to just satisfy your desires or your needs creates death in your life. We've spent sermons and stuff before talking about this. This is just a quick reminder on this. But Paul goes over this again and again. It's the same author but a different book in Romans 1.21. He says, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. They began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Notice the similarity here. Gentiles walking around dark and confused and wandering. Here again, when we start worshiping something other than God, our minds become dark and confusion sets in. Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they instead become utter fools. Instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worship idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other. 
They traded the truth about God for a lie, so they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself. Who is worthy of eternal praise? Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. When we stop living in a kingdom way, a God-centered way, we take the primary place in our story. Our pleasure, our desires begin to rule and direct the way that we live our life, and our life begins to fall apart. Why is this? Because if you're living to just satisfy your desire, you soon find that desire can never be satisfied. If you partook in every activity that you could think, you binged every single movie, every show off of every streaming service, you did every narcotic, every thrill ride, every book, every activity, everything that you could do, you'll come to the end of those things and realize you still want more. Desire can never be satisfied. No matter how many donuts I eat, the next day, the next hour, the next afternoon, I'm ready for another donut. Isn't that silly how desire works like that? It might numb you for a little while, but it will never satisfy you. When you look to live your life in a way that simply fulfills and tries to find contentment in your life, you'll realize that you come up short every single time. And that's where Paul goes in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. This isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus, have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off the old sinful nature, your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Friends, to be a Christian, to be in God's kingdom, there is a way that we do things and a way we don't do things. And Paul's reminding us that that you used to live before you came into the house of God, before you accepted Jesus as your Savior. There is a way that you still lived your life. But it's not a way that led to life. It's a way that led to decay and destruction and death. There's a reason that if you're here and there's a reason that if you call Jesus Lord and Savior, there's a reason that you made that decision. Because at some point in your life, you came to a point where you said, there's nothing greater that I could do with my life than to give it to Jesus. But yet we have slippery minds. It's hard to remember things. And again, every day, we combat this feeling of desire versus being in God's house. That old nature versus the new nature. If I haven't said it yet, happy new year. Thank you. Kellys, I I heard you. I heard you, Risa. Thank you. Happy New Year's. You know, often with the New Year's, there come along these things called New Year's resolutions. How many people have made a New Year's resolution? Okay, a little under the statistic. Statistically, about almost 40% of Americans will make a New Year's resolution. There's still time today. You could do it. How many of us, I want to be really honest, though, of you that raise your hand, How many have maybe already broken a New Year's resolution? Anybody? Hey, we're doing pretty good. Good job, guys. Keep it up. Just another 365 days. You're doing great. So, did you know that the most common things that people do, the most common resolutions are usually about self-improvement? Exercise more, eat healthier, lose weight, save money, pursue a career, spend less time on social media, a new hobby, stop drinking so much, renovate part of the house, spend more time with the family, do more charity work, quit smoking, raise money for charity. Top 13 most 
common New Year's resolutions. Basically, these goals are all the opposite of the Gentile way of living. People in America, we want to care more, feel more, want to be emotionally present and rested, engaging with our loved ones, doing meaningful work. We want to live fuller lives and feel full and not empty. But the sad reality is that 43% of people that make New Year's resolutions expect to fail and give up by February. Half of the people that make New Year's resolutions expect that they're not going to get outside of January. And there's actually, statistically, most people will quit on their New Year's resolution on the second Friday of January. So much so that it's been coined Quitter's Day. Isn't that great? Why is this the case? Because we lose motivation quickly. Motivation or emotion only carries us so far. We are too busy to implement real change. I want to be that type of person, but I'm too busy to actually plan to be that type of person. Or, and finally, most people are not fully committed to the resolution. We say it, we want it, but we don't actually commit it to actually doing it. It's ironic that you must be resolved to find success in your resolution. Becoming who you want to be takes resolve. There's a man in the Bible that inspired Americans since 1971 to name their children after him. This name has been the most popular name for over 30 years. It's one of the top 100 most popular boys' names in America since 1971. Unbiasedly, it is one of the greatest names in all of the earth and all of time. Do you guys know what the name is? It's Joshua. Unbiasedly, I say that. (laughs) And there's a man in the Bible named Joshua. And many of us probably don't know the backstory, the full history of Joshua and all that he did, but probably most of us know the singular, most popular line that he has ever been quoted for in the Bible. Anybody know what line I'm talking about? Say it really loud. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Verses, Joshua 24, verses 14 through 15. Joshua says this. He says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites and the lands who you dwell now. But for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Many, many years ago, there was a man named Joshua who at the end of his ministry and the end of his life gathered all the people that called him leader and who followed him. And he had a message very similar to what I'm saying today. Have a resolve to serve and to follow God. We are at the beginning of a new year. Often a fresh start, the possibilities are unwarranted by the past in this moment. And today, I want to call us to do the same thing that Joshua did so many years ago. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Resolutions take resolve. And today, we're closing in with our time. Band, you can start making way forward. Is that we are closing our time with this idea of making resolve to follow God. 
resolve towards this new life. Moses, Joshua's predecessor, he said it this way in Deuteronomy. He said, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You must love the Lord with God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commandments I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them on your hands. Wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gate. Moses emphatically was telling us to love God, to serve God, to do everything you can do to follow God and to cut everything else out. Joshua said it in this way. Today, decide, commit, resolve to follow God. The beginning of 2023, friends, in this house, that's what I want to do today. Somebody asked me last week, what's 2023 looking like for Church on the Rock? We're doing the same thing. Bring people in, raise them up, send them out. Connecting people to God, people, and purpose and hope. But more than any of that, I hope that we can just build a resolve individually, as families, corporately, to serve and to seek and to resolve to be in God's presence. There is a way that we can do things, a way that we can live life, and a way not to. And my hope today is that Church on the Rock, in the first day of the year, would make a resolve as individuals, as families, as a corporate body, that we would serve God. What am I asking us today? I want to give you three, there's lots of ways you could do this, but I want to give you three very practical resolutions you could make. The first is this. Resolve to slow down this month and make yourself available to God. At the beginning of every year, for years, Church in the Rock has done an awakening experience. 21 days of prayer and fasting. The idea is that we're cutting normal good things, we're stopping them, abstaining from them, pausing them to make ourselves more available to God. Slow down. Resolve to slow down this month and make yourself available to God. Number two, resolve to show up. Come to church. Come to the prayer meetings. Be with people. I don't know about you, but in my life, the times of transformation and greatest change have come in the company of other people. The times I've most changed, most matured, most developed in my spiritual walk happened with other people around me. Small group, family, mentors, church groups. It came when I showed up. That's what we're doing. Pastor Joe mentioned that we're doing a uh, ice cream social, a prayer social. And you know what I want church to be this year? I want church to be fun. I want spiritual practices to be something that you can do with excitement and enjoyment. I want church, when you bring your kids, they're excited to come. And so I stole this from another church, a pastor I was talking to. And so for four weeks in a row, starting January 11th, on Wednesday nights, we're going to gather here from 6 to 7, and we're going to pray. And we're going to worship. We're going to do it individually and corporately and together, and it's going to be a great experience. You're going to model to our children to the people around us what it looks like to pray. And then afterwards, for everybody that wants to, we're going to go downstairs, and we're going to get really full with ice cream. It's going to be great. Your kids are going to love it. They're never going to want to come so much to church as they are to the prayer nights. It's going to be wonderful. Children, hear what I'm saying and keep your parents accountable. Ice cream social on Wednesday nights. Amen? Children, where are you? Amen? 
Okay, whatever. We'll get it next time. They'll get bigger. And this is the last thing, and this is where we're ending our time today with, guys, is resolve to end well so we can start well. We're going to end well in just a little bit. We're going to take communion, and we're going to do it in a little bit more of a unique way. We're going to take communion in just a second. Resolve to slow down this month and make yourself available to God. Resolve to show up, to come to church, come to the prayer nights, and be with people. And resolve to end well so we can start this year well. I want to be really clear today is that I'm not asking you to do more. Will and momentum and effort only take us so far in the kingdom of God. I've learned that, and I am learning, because my nature and my tendency is to go work harder to be a better person, work harder to be a better husband, work harder to be a better pastor, work harder to be a better child of God. But I've learned that more importantly than working hard is showing up, being available for God to work in you. And that is what we begin January with. So I'm not asking you yet to commit to fasting or to prayer or to abstaining or to any of those things. But I'm asking you right now to make a resolve to make yourself available to God and see what God does in this next month as we begin the whole year.